Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to touch his word to our heart. And as we pray, amen, I'm just going to ask the Lord to touch you in a specific way. And if you have a need this evening, he can meet that need in our lives right now. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. I'm asking you tonight, God, to let the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost just surround the word that we are about to partake of. The word has been referred to God as that bread, that loaf. Lord, we pray that like Ezekiel, that we can just ingest this word tonight. That your word will be the strength that we need, the stabilization for our lives and the answers to our questions. We praise your name and give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this evening, and thank you for being here. And so we've had a few people exit the building. They didn't get mad and leave, hopefully. We've got a couple of things, several moving parts here this evening, some classes that are being taught, other of our young people that are getting ready for our children's crusade in just a few weeks on August the 12th and 13th. I want to speak this evening about a man named Moses. I'm just going to be very transparent with you tonight. Uh, I hope I always am transparent with you. I almost made that sound like a special event this evening. But uh, yesterday, Elder Brother Gibson and I were together and we spent a few hours and the very first part of our fellowship, he was talking about a passage of scripture in the book of Exodus. And uh, when I got home last night, I He had said a few things that just kind of piqued my interest. And so I went home last night and um, and early this morning began to view some of the, review some of those scriptures. And as always happens, sort of one thing leads to another. And that leads us to where we are here tonight. Generally, generally I take a subject, read the scripture, and we talk about that particular thing. And generally, uh, I even do that in my preaching, just more or less speak about one thing. But tonight, I just want to talk about several different things, if that'll be all right. And uh, maybe in, in this, somewhere, some way, we can find something that applies to all of our life, and perhaps all of it. I want to talk about a man named Moses. And I realize that for those who were raised in close proximity to church, Moses was a man that we met in Sunday school, a man we met at vacation Bible school. Uh, for some that are sitting here tonight, I'll lose a few people in this illustration, but I'll, I'll grab a few by the throat when I say this. For some of us, we learned about men like Moses on flannel graph boards. And, well, that was a little bit bigger amen than I anticipated. <laughs> some people don't even know what flannel is, much less flannel graph. Flannel graph boards and those little caricatures that were on those flannel graph e- boards and easels, and 
Thank God for faithful Sunday school teachers who just kept going back to bat. Amen. They just kept going. And so we learned about a man by the name of Moses. And tonight, if it wasn't your life's journey to learn about Moses in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or in, the, in your life, if you've never heard the word Moses tonight, I still want to talk to you because it's an incredible story, a story of highs and lows and there's absolutely no way that I'm going to be able to touch every point of Moses' life. I'm not even going to attempt to do that. But tonight I'm just going to talk until I feel like you get weary, and so don't feign weariness. <laughs> and uh, let's just... Uh, <laughs> I said I was going to be real, so I want you to be real. I don't want to look out there and see any peakedness. And let's, uh, let's just see what the Lord would speak to our heart here this evening. I want to think about a man... And I want to think about the difference that one single life can make. Because life is so enormous. There's so many things that go on in what we call life. Sometimes we ourselves can feel lost in life. That no one would know who we are or would even care to know who we are for that matter. But I want to talk about the difference that one single life can make. So when we think about Moses, for those of us who are acquainted with this man, perhaps one of the things that comes to our mind is the word greatness. Amen, greatness. There's so many things about Moses' life that we can relate to because the Bible takes no pain to hide any of his strengths or weaknesses. And so we see Moses high and we see Moses low. But somewhere in all of that, we find ourselves. And I think that's why Moses is such a relatable person in Scripture. The best thing that perhaps has ever been said of Moses was recorded in Deuteronomy 33 because it was said here that Moses was a man of God. A man of God. Moses also experienced a lot of serious setbacks in his life. Additionally, Moses created some of his own frustration and made some of his own mistakes. Moses seemed to have somewhat of an impulsive nature, and perhaps it was that impulsiveness that positioned him to be used by God. But we also know that it was that impulsive nature that cost him being able to go into Canaan land. And so our strength sometimes can be our weaknesses, and so we have to be very, very careful that God would help us to find that perfect balance in our lives. We certainly don't want to be complacent, nor do we always want to be overreacting. And so God, help us to find that place in our life where we can be used of you. Moses wanted to do the right thing. I think many of us would raise our hand and say, I want to like to get in that line. I want to do the right thing. But sometimes Moses went about the right thing in all the wrong ways. And so again, we find ourselves. The right thing, it beats in our heart to do what's right every day. I don't think that I'm speaking to an audience tonight that would wake up in the morning or wake up this morning and say, I want to see how much wrong I can do today. But I think, I think the crosshairs of our prayer every morning is centered on trying to do the right thing in whatever circumstance. And so as we begin our day, obviously we don't know what we're going to face or encounter, but we want to do the right thing. And sometimes even though we want to do the right thing, we go about it the wrong way. Moses was a very significant, and I think is, a very significant 
Scripture, a, a, a figure in the in the Word of God and all of Scripture. Often when we think about Moses, we kind of set him in the Old Testament because that's where we met him. And so we leave Moses in the Old Testament because that's where his journey begins and that's when we're introduced to him. But uh, but when we look at the New Testament, Moses is mentioned more times in, in the New Testament than any other Old Testament character. There are some 80 mentions and references to this man Moses in the New Testament. It's interesting to look at his life because it's divided up into three 40-year periods. Forty years he was in Pharaoh's court. Forty years he was off in the desert. And forty years he was used by God. The final forty years of his life. And so it was not until he was 80 that he came into his prime. His, his prime at 80. Think about that. Or as one author would put it, Moses spent 40 years finding out he was somebody. And then he spent another 40 years finding out he was nobody. And then he spent the next 40 years finding out that God could take a nobody and make somebody out of him. Amen. Again, we find ourselves in the life of Moses. One Bible commentator says this, commentary says this of Moses. He said, the life of Moses represents several contrasts. He was a child of a slave, yet the son of a queen. He was born in a hut, but he lived in a palace. He inherited poverty, but he lived in royalty. He was a leader of armies, and yet he was also the keeper of flocks. He was the mightiest of warriors, but he was also the meekest of men. Educated in the court, yet he dwelt in the desert. He had the wisdom of Egypt and the faith of a child. He was fitted for the city, but he wandered in the wilderness. He was tempted with the pleasures of sin, but he endured the hardships of virtue. He was backward in his speech, and yet he spoke with God. He had the rod of a shepherd in his hand, but he also had the power of the Almighty at his side. He was a fugitive from Pharaoh, but an ambassador from heaven. He was the giver of the law and the forerunner of grace. He died alone on Mount Nebo, but he appeared again with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. A life marked by contrast. He was this, but he was that. He was here, but he was there. And so we find ourselves again in this reflection of a man called Moses. Man, Moses was a man with overwhelming contrast. Moses is the author of the first five books of the Old Testament. These first five books were, would obviously include the book of Exodus. And it's from the book of Exodus that I really want to draw my thoughts this evening. The word Exodus means departure. It's the story of the departure of the Jews from Egypt. Exodus picks up, of course, where Genesis leaves off. And so as our story begins, we see the hard times that are falling upon the shoulders of the Jewish people. Remember that they had settled in Egypt because of Joseph. It's the story of Joseph that brings the book of Genesis to a close. And so... In the book of Genesis, a great time of famine had swept over the land. But this was not a famine that just came from out of nowhere because God had clearly warned them of what was ahead. Pharaoh had foreseen it in a dream. 
He didn't know the interpretation of the dream, and that's how God used Joseph to bring him center stage to interpret that dream. Then Pharaoh, according to Joseph's counsel, stored up enough food supplies to get them through a season of famine. And as a result of that, Joseph was elevated to the through time, through the time of the famine, Joseph was elevated to the, to the, be the, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh himself. When Joseph's family arrived, even his brothers who had betrayed him were welcome because they were Joseph's brothers. As time passed, eventually Joseph died. In time, his brothers died. And even in more time, that particular Pharaoh that had appreciated all that Joseph had done for Egypt died as well. Then the scripture says that another Pharaoh arose. And the scripture says this, a Pharaoh arose that knew not Joseph or didn't know Joseph. So we ask ourselves, how in the world could, how in the world could the leader, the next leader of Egypt not know Joseph? It was Joseph that had sustained them. It was his ability to hear God, get clear and concise directions, and follow that plan out. That was the only reason they were still alive. And so when we read that scripture, it does bring a little question to our mind, but it doesn't mean that he didn't know him as we think about that, but that phrase literally means that he did not honor him. He did not honor him for who he was. All he knew was this, this new Pharaoh. The only thing that he was really sure of was the fact that he had thousands of people that were not Egyptians and he was using them as slaves. And so that would seem like the perfect scenario except he was looking further down the road and he realized that if this continues, these people have got power. And so he feared that they might rise up and lead a revolt against him. And so this is where our story begins in Exodus 1. It's at this point that there were probably in the neighborhood of three million Jews that were living in Egypt. Perhaps one burning question that often plagues our mind is why in the world would God allow the Israelites to go through all of this to begin with? What is the reason for all of this storm in my life? To find the answer to that, we need to turn the page back one more time and go back to the book of Genesis because it was revealed long before it all happened in a dream to Abraham. I know I'm switching back and forth on you, but stay with me for just a moment. Genesis 15 and 12, the Bible says this, And when the sun was gone down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. Now for all of you who are familiar with this story, you realize that these are not void words that are just bouncing around that all of this indeed happened just as specific as it was given to Abraham in this dream. That they were in slavery in Egypt and they were there for 400 years. But when they came out of Egypt, they came out with great substance. And so why? What, what is, 
is all of this about. That particular prophecy was now being fulfilled just as, as God had said it, word for word. But again, why? Why would we go through all of the things that we go through in life? Why couldn't life just be a little bit easier? Is there anyone here that wouldn't like life to be just a tad easier? Maybe you're not wanting to be a complaint, a complainer or down and outer, but you just wouldn't mind if life just had a little bit of slack in the rope. Why am I going through all of this? Well, I'm not leading you up to the fact that I have the answer for that, but I do want to speak about this for just a moment. If we can look into their lives, we realize that there was a purpose. And the Lord says that of those that have gone on before us, that they were given to us as examples or in samples. They were given to us as something to, to look toward and realize that if God was doing this in their life and this was the purpose, then perhaps there is a, there is a rhyme and a reason to what may be going on in my life that I don't understand. This time that they spent in Egypt would prove to be a time of purification, but not just that. It would be a time of preparation that God was going to use them. He would cause them to have a desire in their life for the land that God had promised Abraham because somewhere they lost that dream. They lost that hope. And so sometimes I know that we, I could speak of this personally, but I think that I wouldn't stand alone to say that, that sometimes when it seems the hand of God just sort of lifts from your life, it really makes you appreciate when God's hand is on your life. Amen. We're not talking about sin and we're not talking about getting out in the world and just doing our own thing, but I'm just talking about those seasons when it just seems like, have you ever felt like that God just kind of stepped out of your life? Job went through that, and so I don't think that we should think it all that strange if we feel like we go through seasons of that. And so when I feel that God is distant in my life, I, I want you to know it gets my attention. I want to figure out. I want to look into this. I want to try to see what's going on here. And, and so one of the things that happened in their life is they desired to go to a place that God had promised Abraham. In the book of Deuteronomy 4 and 20, the Bible says, But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as ye are this day. The Lord hath taken you and brought you brought you forth out of the iron furnace. What a what an incredible phrase. He has brought you out of this trying fire, even out of Egypt, he said, to be unto him a people of inheritance as you are this day. I put you in the furnace, not because I'm on some ego trip, but I'm trying to develop something in your life. Amen. So God likened their time of captivity as slaves in Egypt as this burning furnace. In the same way, we go through seasons of tests and seasons of trials. And these seasons can certainly cause serious questions to flood our mind. You may be going through a season of hardship right now and you don't know why. But could I tell you this, that it may be that God is preparing you for something in your future. And I'm not batting at the air tonight to say that because we've got too much Bible on our side. Amen. Not only that, we've got too much history on our side that, 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 that stands between this Word of God and where we stand today in 2016. Where God has taken us through fiery times and seasons of test and trial that did not make sense. But when we came through that, we realized that God was preparing us for something back then. 
today. Or maybe God is trying to do a work in our life that we don't probably understand right now, but He is putting us in a position to need Him or to seek Him in a way we haven't sought Him before. Many of those questions we have about life, of course, are not going to be answered until we get to heaven. And so until that time, we're just going to have to be patient and realize that God has His purpose. He has His purpose. And so that's why I have to trust Him. The old song says, I still trust you, Lord. The Jews were turned into slaves. And as the Jews grew in number, Pharaoh devised a more devious plan. He decided that he would begin to systematically exterminate them. And so he gave a very peculiar order to the midwives that when the Jewish women were to give birth or giving birth, if they discovered that they were giving birth to a male child, he said, I want you to kill them because we're going to destroy the seed. And if we can stamp out the seed, then we'll stamp out the problem. These midwives, thankfully, feared God too much to have anything to do with that. So the Jews continued to grow in number. Here are these Jewish people living under the bondage of Egypt and crying out to God for a deliverer. We need to be delivered from the bondage of Pharaoh's heavy hand. They needed someone to free them. And it was this prayer, it was this cry, it was this spirit of submission that introduces us to Moses. First, he would just be a baby protected by God by some unnamed, unknown, unmentioned, but God-fearing and God-used midwife. Amen. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. We know Moses, but we don't even know the lady that was responsible for his life. And so some unnamed, some faceless individual that we know nothing about except for the fact that she feared God too much to heed the words of the Pharaoh, and she allowed Moses to live. Moses' parents knew from the very beginning that there's just something special about this child. Now, I know that's the sentiments of most parents. There's something special about this child, and sometimes we think there's something very special about this child. But in Exodus chapter 2 and verse number 2, let's look at this. The Bible says, And the woman conceived and bare a son. This is Moses' mother here. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Well, that doesn't seem odd. I would think that most mothers would see a child and think that it would be a goodly child. Most mothers under certainly the orders of their child being murdered would want their child to live. And so we don't find it odd at all that, that a mother would think, i got to hide this child. But you see, if we understand the end of the story, we realize that there was something much, much larger going on here. The phrase goodly child has a great deal of depth and certainly a tremendous amount of providence to it. This signifies that... He was not only perfect, he was not only a well-formed child, but most literally, Moses was a very beautiful child. I think this beauty was nothing less than ordained of God because God had a plan. And so he needed everything to be perfect. He had a plan 
Because God said, I've got to preserve this child because this is a child of hope. This is a child that's going to, that his destiny will change the lives of many, many people. And so his beauty perhaps would induce an Egyptian princess to take particular care of him and to educate and house and love him as she would her own, which in all likelihood she may not have done that if it had just been an ordinary child that she found. But God said, I'm going to make Moses stunningly beautiful from birth. Everything about him is going to be perfect. Everything is going to be cunning because I've got to place him in some very significant arms. So when Joshebed, Moses' mother, recognized that God's hand was upon her for this special purpose, with this threat of Moses, of, of Pharaoh rather, looming that all the Jewish baby boys were to be put to death, they came up with a plan. This plan would, have, would be essentially to build another ark, except this would just be a one baby ark. Amen. Just a little basket. They were going to put all their hope, their trust, and their faith in God. Moses' sister Miriam would hide. She would see what would happen to her little baby brother. Beginning in Exodus 2 and 5, we see an incredible scene unfold. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. She saw the ark among the reeds, or what the King James Version of the Bible calls the flags, or the flagons, the reeds that grow alongside the river. She saw the ark among these reeds and she sent her maid to get it. When she opened it, she saw the child and had compassion on him. Think about it. Then Moses' sister, planted of God again, standing just a few feet away, watching all of this unfold, intercepts this situation and offers to get one of the Hebrew women. How would you like it if I just get one of the Hebrew women to come and nurse this child? Amen. I think one thing that's worth pointing out here is found in Exodus 2 and 3. It's not on the screen, but I want to read it for you tonight. Speaking of Moses' mother and this small ark, the Bible says in Exodus 2 and 3 that she laid it, speaking of the ark, she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. She laid it in the flags by the river's brink. I don't know how suspicious minded you may be about this passage of scripture, but I just wondered today, did she know this is where someone was coming to bathe? Had she been staking this little piece of real estate out for some time? <laughs> I don't think there was anything arbitrary about what's going on here. And I do believe that it was heaven directed. But hear me this evening. Heaven needs some hands. Heaven needs flesh and blood sometimes. To carry out its plan. To carry out its will. And so she positioned Moses here hoping perhaps we can find some mercy, some compassion. And so I think these are worthy things to consider. Now, I want to just pause here for just a moment because something was kind of laid in my heart as I was studying this afternoon about this particular passage of scripture. The scripture says she laid it, the ark, in the flags by the river's brink. I think that we should certainly be careful and I don't want to just talk to parents tonight, but I can. 
But I think that we're all influencers to some degree and measure. So let me speak to all the influencers in the house, which should be all of us. I think it's very important that we should understand that we should never try to call our children to any particular service in the kingdom. That's a very dangerous thing to do. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 7, the Bible says every one of us has given grace according to the measure of the gift. According to the measure of the gift. And so whatever God would call someone to, God is not just going to call someone to some level of service without giving them grace for that service. And so I think that when we we consider that that Jochebed took this ark in her hands and she laid it. There's something intentional about this. She didn't just set it at the water's edge and kick it down river and just cross her fingers and hope for the best. But the Bible says she laid it in the reeds. There's something intentional about this scripture here. And so I think that while we cannot call children or our, our children or call whoever we may have influence on to any particular service, here's what I think we can do. I think we as in, as influencers are to be are to be very strategic and we ought to be very intentional about wisely positioning those that we influence in a place that God could potentially use them. I don't think we can inherit spiritual things like we can genetically inherit natural things from our parents. And so I don't have the Holy Ghost tonight because my parents had the Holy Ghost. or I don't have a prayer life because they had a prayer life. You can't inherit spiritual things, but, but you can be positioned. Amen. And so while I am, I, I say this often, but I say it even more often in prayer, Lord, I thank you for a well-worn path that I had in my life. Everybody didn't have that privilege. And some, uh, some people, before they ever even heard the name Jesus, their life was in shambles. And they were so far away and, and so many things that had to be ironed out and fixed. And I, and I hope you don't think I'm boasting tonight because I'm, I'm not at all. But I don't mind testifying. And I'm thankful for parents that positioned me, that laid me in the reeds. They put me in a place where God could use me or God could do something. And so I want to say tonight that we should never try to call somebody to some service of the, of the king. We ought to be intentional about putting positioning them so that God can use them. And so let me be a little more specific about what I'm speaking of tonight. That's why I think it's important that our children be at church every time the doors are open. You know what you're doing when you do that? You're laying them. In the reeds. You are positioning them in a place. That's why our, I think our, our children and young people ought to be in youth camp. You know why? Because you don't ever know. Amen. You don't ever know who's going to preach the message that's going to plant a seed in their heart. And so how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It happened just as casually as you signing a camp application. You say, well, I thought I was just giving up $125. Nope. 
I thought I was just giving up the money we spent on clothes and food and, and that. No, 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 not at all. What you're doing is you're positioning them. You're setting them in the path where the Spirit of God can minister to them and touch them and, and something can happen. I, I'm just being very, very sincere in my heart here this evening that we need to be intentional about what we're doing, that we make sure that whatever's going on, that they're there and they're a part of that and they're, they're, they're a participant in those things that are going on. Why? When you do that, we are laying them in the reeds. We're laying them. We're setting them there so we know that God, something good can happen in there. I'm glad somebody laid me in the reed. I'm glad someone said, hey, I want you to be here. I want you to, I want you to be a part of this. And you know what? When we go ourselves, even as adults, I talked to our young people last night. We had a, a prayer meeting here at the church last night. And I, uh, some of our young people wanted to gather and pray and that was a wonderful thing and I told them that we we uh, we don't ever get uh, grow out of the need of having that shot in our lives we don't ever grow away from or should never grow away from that need and so I told them that's why when you're going to youth camp you're not just the only ones involved that's why we our men are going to men's conference that's why our ladies are still going to ladies conference that's why at family camp we're down at family camp why because we realize the value uh, maybe now we're not being laid in the reeds, but we're putting ourselves in a position. I need a word from the Lord. I need something to to be imparted into me. Well, you know what? You're going to stand a much better chance of getting that somewhere else than you are in your recliner. Amen. That's the truth. And so we we sometimes just kind of kick back in our. Let me just leave that alone. Amen. <laughs> We just think we want God to work it all out. You color in all the corners, but we got to get up and do something. We got to put ourselves in a position for the Lord to be able to bless us. And so I think that what Jochebed was doing that day was very intentional. It was ordered of God. Amen. Miriam wasn't just standing there willy nilly. I mean, God's hand was in every bit of this. Where should I lay this child? I believe the Lord said right here. Miriam, where should I stand, Lord? Stand right here. Amen. Be right. Right there, let's hear the voice of God. Praise God. And so here's what happens. The princess of Egypt discovers the baby. Her maternal instincts kick in, and God used Miriam's word to arrange for Moses to fall right back into the arms of his own mother. Wow. I'll tell you one even better than that. Moses wound up right back in the arms of his own mother, and she got paid to raise him. Top that deal. <laughs> Amen. So much could be said right there, but I'll just, I will, I will just resist and move on. So here is, so here is Jochebed who has this privilege for another season. She's handed her baby back to wean him. So she's going to have him in care of him. And she realizes, I have him for just a season. And then what is she going to do with him? She's going to have to send him to Egypt. Now, as wonderful as this story is up to now, her heart has to be beating out of her chest because I know in time this is short-lived. There is a clock that is rolling backwards right now. And I have just a short window and I am going to have to get enough in this child.
that when I send him to Egypt, he always realizes that I'm a Hebrew. And I know I'm borrowing this from my wife from many years ago on Mother's Day, but I will never forget the word picture that she drew in my heart when she said as she held that child, and I don't mean to be unkind here, but as she nursed that child, she had the privilege and the vantage point to whisper in his ear, you are not an Egyptian, but you're a Hebrew. And so I think that we had better take advantage of the time, that short window that we have, to whisper into the heart of every young person you can find and say, you are not an Egyptian. Time, time will force me to have to put you back in Egypt. Time will call my hand and you're going to have to walk back into the home of Pharaoh. You're going to be in Egypt alone. And so we realize that we have our children for a short span of time and and, and, and a few calendar flicks of the page and they're going to be adults themselves. And it's at that time when we let go of their hand, the only thing we can hope is that we took advantage of the time that we had to say you are not an Egyptian. You are not an Egyptian. You are not an Egyptian. Praise God. Praise God. And so God help us. The courage and the example of the faith that was on the part of Amran and Jochebed. What a wonderful reminder of the importance of our being a spiritual influence in their life. And I'm going to tell you there's enough going on in the world Amen. The church ought to be a refuge and I realize that the church is not perfect and I realize this church is not perfect. But I'm going to tell you the last thing you had better do is whittle out the foundation of the church sitting around your dining table in your living room riding down the road in the car because they've already lost hope in the world and if they lose hope in the church we are going to be in trouble. The church is not pastored by a perfect man. The church, this church is not, the, the church is not led by a perfect pastor's wife. The church doesn't have perfect leaders in it, but I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about everything that I know about those that are leading us today. They may stumble and fall, but they're leaning in the right direction. Amen. And so don't whittle out the foundation of the, they're going to need the church. They're going to need that. And so don't take away, don't tear away at that. Amen. God help us. God help us to have the courage, the faith, and be the example of Amran and Jochebed. It's a wonderful reminder of the of the, the weight of the influence that, that we have in our in our upon our lives. And so while it's true that Moses is mentioned in this roll call of the heroes of faith in Hebrews eleven, it is true that Moses is there, but it's also true that his parents are mentioned there as well. That's not by accident. So we look at this great family that came as a result of their spiritual heritage. I'm talking about the influence of one man. This single family. The influence of just one family out of three million people. What good can I do? One single family gave us a priest of Israel by the name of Aaron, a prophetess of Israel by the name of Miriam, and the great lawgiver of Israel by the name of Moses. So what good can you do? Only eternity will tell that story. Moses was taken off to the palace now to be under Pharaoh, and that all worked into God's plan. For Moses to be taught 
in the wisdom of the Egyptians meant that he would have been instructed in many, many things. One of the things that he would have been trained in was astronomy. And that was not accidental because he was going to be able to use that to navigate the endless miles of desert travel using the stars as his compass. I've got you in Egypt for a reason. I feel like the Holy Ghost is reaching for somebody tonight to tell you that God has you in Egypt for a reason. If you curse your season there and fail to learn what God is trying to teach us, you may not have what you need to lead the next. If Moses had cursed where he was and not taken advantage, he didn't realize while they were pointing out these stars that that was going to help him navigate mile after mile after mile. Thanks to training to build such things like the the pyramids, he was able to step into a higher calling and build the tabernacle. He was trained in warfare to help him prepare him for the war that he would fight against Egypt. And so here's the point, that everything that God has taken us through up to this point has been a part of his training of preparation for where he is taking us tomorrow. It may not make sense now, but God is preparing us for tomorrow. Now here's the problem, and I I don't know if the landing gear's down yet or not, but the lights are on. <laughs> that has to make you feel better. Here's the problem. Moses grew impatient. He didn't want to wait on God's timing. Even though he was raised in these luxurious surroundings, he saw the mistreatment of his fellow Jews, and that was true. He saw that. And he felt that, I have to do something about this. And he took circumstances into his own hands. And instead of waiting on the Lord, he said, I'll deal with this myself. And this is where everything started falling apart for Moses. And I feel like the Lord is still reaching for us tonight in this. Amen. Exodus 2 and 11 through 16, the Bible reveals the story of Moses killing an Egyptian and then hiding his body in the sand, or so he thought. It was also Moses that said, be sure your sins will find you out. Everything was going so well. God had preserved his life. He's trained in the courts of Pharaoh. And then all of a sudden his life began to spiral out of control because he said, I have this. I see injustice and I will take care of it. I see a need so I will feel it. Not realizing that those that were being mistreated were God's, not his. Not his. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. And so here's what it comes down to. God wants us to do his will, his way, his time. It wasn't long after he killed the Egyptian that he sees a couple of Hebrews that were arguing. And when he tried to, when he tried to referee this little dispute, one of them looked at him and said, Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Moses' heart had to stop beating. He realized this is out. This didn't happen in secret. This is known. So now what's he going to do? God was not through with Moses and he realizes I've got to take you to another chapter of your life. I've got some more lessons to teach you. He was not the leader that God was going to need him to be yet. 
It's going to take some time to get him ready. So Moses has to flee Egypt for his life. And so when he left Egypt, think about this now. He lost his home. He lost his position. He lost his people. He lost his reputation. And the list could go on and on and on. But fortunately, in all the things that he lost, he didn't lose God. He made a huge mess, but God was more than able to clean it up. And so what looked like the end of his life was actually just the beginning of his training for a new life. And there are many lessons that we can learn through failure. One of those is that we need to wait on God's timing. Oh, how we would like to wrestle some situations out of God's hand and fix them ourselves. But oh, what a mess we make every time. And so God will do the right thing and he'll do it in the right time. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, Solomon said this, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. In his time. For now Moses is going to have to fade into obscurity. So here is this man that we've been talking about tonight that came from nowhere into the arms of a princess, into the security of a palace, and now he's pushed back into obscurity. He leaves Egypt, finds another family, marries one of the daughters and becomes a shepherd. Moses literally went from riches to rags. Once the heir of the throne of all Egypt, now he's a common shepherd to someone else's sheep. And to add insult to injury, the Egyptians had a great disdain for shepherds. (laughs) And so now here he is not a shepherd, just a shepherd, but he's shepherding someone else's sheep. He's lost all of his confidence, his visions of grandeur, all but abandoned. All hope. Everything that Moses ever dreamed of being, he thought, it's all over. And the only thing I have to do now is just live out the rest of my life. And so Moses contended himself with this is just how it is. I blew my chance. I wasted my opportunity. And so I'll just... Just check the calendar pages off. And it was at that moment, in that season of his life, that he comes to a burning bush. And that's where I'm going to stop. Because we know it didn't end. But it was just the folding of another page. Life lessons from Moses. So when we think we're at the very end, and that we have blown it, And that God could never possibly sweep all of this back up to anything that makes sense. Moses is marching across the desert and God says, hey, over here, over here. And so tonight I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to someone besides me in this house. Can you stand with me? Maybe we think that somehow... We can never get to that place that we've dreamed of being. We can never get back to that place that God could ever use us. It's just at that moment God has something alive and on fire to speak to us with. And so would you let the Spirit of God... I'm telling you, I know I've taken quite a bit of time here tonight, but I believe the Lord is doing a work right here in this place. So can we not just rush right here? Would you let the Spirit of God settle something in our heart? Because I believe He has spoken to more than one person here tonight. Amen. Would you just...
pray to the Lord ever how you would like to pray. Amen. But I feel like we should respond to the presence of the Lord and to the word of the Lord. Lord, let your spirit, let it touch us tonight, God. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost, let it minister to our lives. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.